you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And um, if you don't own a Bible, we would count it an honor if you would take that with you and read it and uh, make it your own so that you could have a copy of God's Word with you. Genesis chapter 37, it's on page 31 in the uh, chairs in front of you. I just want to read the first four verses and then we're going to pray and then um, I'm going to go. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 37, 38, and 39. So buckle up and uh, get ready to drink from a fire hose um, because it is a ton of information. Um, and I'm not going to be able to do it justice at all, I promise. Um, Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bela and Zippah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe with many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Let's pray. Precious Father, you know what's going on in my heart and my mind this morning. You know that I'm supposed to unpack and unfold the Word of God this morning, and there's a whole lot of information. And God, I don't know what to say um, or how to say it sometimes. And so I ask, Lord God, that your Word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would go to each hearer of the Word, and that they would, it would land where you want it to land. And that I would not say something that would offend or upset or anger someone, Lord God. Um, but Lord God, that your word and your gospel, um, if it needs to do that, would do that. I pray, Lord God, that your word would go forth as a sharp and powerful sword. I pray, Lord God, that it would divide between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, as your word says in Hebrews. Help me to not be offensive, Lord God, for the gospel is offensive enough because we need your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, with humility and respect to your word and to this church and to this position, let me teach this word, Lord God. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I thank you and praise you. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Instead of um, reading the three chapters and then closing in prayer and dismissing you, I'm going to summarize them for you. Um, Genesis chapter 37, we see Jacob now as an old man. We see him having many sons, and Joseph being 17, being his favorite. 
And um, in chapter 37, we see that Joseph had um, an ability to tell on his brothers because he always did the right thing and they did not. His father rewarded him with a coat of many colors. And uh, Joseph, God even gave Joseph some dreams, which did not improve the situation. In fact, the dreams were about um, things bowing down to him, 11 of them in particular, and that involved his family bowing to Joseph. And Joseph was quick to share those with his brothers. And it got so bad that... um, His brothers were very jealous of him, very jealous of him, is what it says in um, Genesis 37, verse 11. It was so much so that after he shared the dreams, if you look at verse 8, it says, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. They hated him so much that when Jacob or Israel, we can call him Israel now because the Bible changes his name from Jacob to Israel here in chapter 37. When Israel sends his son Joseph to his brothers, he says, hey, go into the fields, go check on the flocks and your brothers. So Joseph goes by himself to go check on his brothers and his brothers see him afar off and they want to kill him. That's how much the hate had grown. The Bible says Jesus was talking to his followers and he said, if you have hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder because it gives root to murder. They wanted to kill him. So they see his brother, they grab him, they take off his coat, they throw him in a cistern, which is a large holding container. If you ever go to the Middle East, they have cisterns all over. And during the rainy season, they fill up and that's where they draw water. They're not wells. They're just basically big, huge pots of water in the ground, really, made out of rock. Um, And it keeps the water in there. And they threw him in there and Joseph is there without his coat and his brothers are conspiring against him. And his oldest brother, Reuben, has this idea that if he brings Joseph back to his dad, that somehow, some way, maybe he will become a favorite of his dad. A son trying to earn his dad's love because he never feels adequate enough for it. So Reuben goes away a little bit and Judah decides, let's not kill him. We don't want his blood on our hands. This is verse 26. I'll read it. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brothers and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Midianite traders came by and they drew Joseph up and they sold him for 20 pieces of shekels of silver. He went to Egypt. Reuben returned, didn't know what to do. So they took his coat. They decided that they were going to pour blood on it. They come back and tell Jacob, is this your son's coat? He said it was. Then in verse 34, it says, then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth and 
ashes and, and loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his many daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And then Joseph was sold to Potiphar. Then the writer of Genesis, which is Moses, puts a story that almost doesn't fit in chapter 38, and it's the story of Judah and Tamar. And Judah, one of the brothers that said, don't kill him, one of the brothers that conspired against Joseph now has grown up. He gets married, he has three sons. And one of the, his oldest son, he takes for a wife for him a lady named Tamar. Well, he's a wicked son and God strikes him down. Then he decides to give Tamar to his second-born son. Well, the second-born son is not too thrilled about it, does evil in the sight of the Lord. If you want to read it, it's evil um, because he doesn't follow what the Bible says and what, what the customs of the day were. And God strikes him down. So Judah has one son left, and he says, when that son gets a little older, I'll give him to you to marry Tamar. But you're the black widow, so... Go to the corner of the house. Stay away. Well, the son is of marrying age, and Judah is prolonging it. And uh, after a certain point, his, Judah's wife dies. So Judah has his daughter-in-law and his youngest son. He doesn't make the marriage. He goes out into the fields. Tamar says, I'm going to have to take matters in my own hands. She covers her face. Dresses as a prostitute on the side of the road. Judah comes by. Judah says, oh, wow, I'm lonely. And she says, hey, come on in. He says, okay. And then she, she says, hey, wait a second, I need payment. And Judah says, well, I'll give you a young goat and I'll have somebody bring it. And she says, well, that's great, but how do I know you're going to follow through? And so he rips off his belt, he gives the staff, and he says, here, take these. He gives those to her. She says, okay. They have sexual relations. She gets pregnant. She goes back to his house. No one's the wiser, except three months later, she's pregnant with twins. Judah comes, and it's made known to him. And Judah says, that trashy girl, let's burn her. So he, he's about to take her out into front of the village and put her at the stake and burn her. And she sends a message to Judah and says, my Lord, the children that are in my womb, the man's whose children I'm carrying, this is his belt, this is his staff. And Judah says, oh. He doesn't say, oh, that's not what the text says, but he says, she's a more righteous woman than I. And um, so he takes her and realizes she's carrying his children and he puts her off. He doesn't go into her anymore, but she's pregnant with twins. She has two boys. One of the boys is the great, great, great grandfather of Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Go figure. Judah was going to kill the great, great grandfather of Christ, but God intervened in the way that God always intervenes. And then now chapter 39, J Joseph goes to Potiphar's household. He is over all the Egyptian master. 
And in verse 4, it says that, in chapter 39, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that day, he made him overseer of the house and all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. This is verse 7. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, he has put everything that is in my charge. He is, no, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back except anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I love that. He didn't want to sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. And then one day, he was alone in the house. She grabs his coat. He runs out of the house, leaves his garment beside the house uh, with her hands. And she says that he raped me. So Potiphar takes him to save face and throws him in prison. You know, it's interesting. Here's a slave and... If someone really raped my wife and I had the authority to kill him, I probably would have. And Potiphar had that authority as the captain of a pharaoh's guard. So either Potiphar didn't believe his wife or Potiphar was doing what he could do to save Joseph's life because he, found, he liked Joseph. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. doesn't tell us a lot of things. And a lot of times when we read scripture, we superimpose our own beliefs and ideology on the text. Um, we assume certain things that maybe are there or not there. One of the things that, you, that people can assume is that, that Potiphar didn't have the right to kill Joseph. He did. One of the assumptions here is that Potiphar's wife was a very attractive woman. It doesn't tell us that. One of the things here says that Joseph was very handsome. It does tell us that, but that Joseph was very careful, was probably careful. It doesn't tell us that, but we assume that Joseph was careful, and then all of a sudden he's there alone. She grabs his coat. He runs, and um, he gets thrown in prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge because while he was in prison, he looked over everything, and he helped the prison to be better. And all these three stories, and all of these three things, there's three things that I want you to see, and if you have your notes, pull them out. Now, I can't do them justice, but I want to pull out three things, three truths that I want you to see. Because... What I really want to focus on is despite our circumstances, there's a tale of two brothers that we can see. We have the brother Joseph and we have the brother Judah. Now God blessed both of them, but he did it in a different way. 
And so the first thing that I want you to see if you're taking notes is write this down. God is so sovereign over all movements of life. What does sovereign mean? Sovereign means that God is over everything. That God sees everything. God knows everything. You don't wake up this morning and not feel well and tell God about it that God doesn't know. God doesn't have to check the weather forecast. God doesn't have to know what's in your heart and what you're thinking right now. God doesn't have to be, God's never surprised about anything. God is sovereign over all. Sovereign means that he's not only knows it, but he is in control of it. That, 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 that things that don't make sense, that things that we can't explain, that things that we look at and say are wrong, that God should do something about it, we get frustrated. We get angry about. God's sovereign over it. And as much as we want God to intervene on certain things that we look as injustice, he doesn't. And we ask the question, why God? In the instance of, of Genesis chapter 37, we see Joseph having these dreams. Why God? Why did you make it even worse on Joseph? Why, God, did you allow Joseph to be thrown in the cistern and sold into slavery? Why, God? Why, God, did you stick him in Potiphar's household and Potiphar's wife want him and be thrown into prison? Why, God? Why? See, the reality is that God is sovereign and the answer is, I don't know. But I do know that God's word is true. And in Isaiah 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. For the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. See, I don't understand it why people get divorced. I don't understand why people have cancer. I don't understand why 60 million babies were aborted in America since 1973. I don't understand why there is inequality in our country. I don't understand why two people can not know each other and hate each other because of the color of their skin. I don't understand some of these things. And I look at these things and I say, this is broken, God, and you need to fix it. I don't understand why I can go to Thailand and watch two parents sell a daughter into sexual slavery to feed the other three children that they have because there's no other hope for them. I don't understand that. I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't understand why I sin. But I do understand this, that God is sovereign over every movement of our lives. That there is nothing that happens that he's not aware of. There's nothing that happens that he's not concerned with. There's nothing that happens that he's not there. 
And so for Christian, understand this. You should feel a little less alone knowing that God is sovereign. Even though it doesn't make sense. Why all the bad? Why did Judah prosper in chapter 38 while Joseph was in slavery, chapter 39? I just know that God is sovereign and we don't know the whole story. See, God is timeless. He sees the beginning of time to the end of time. Which means he knows the end of the story. And in Revelation, we know the end of the story too. And I'm going to share it with you. Are you ready? God wins. He wins. And in fact... The Bible says in Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever someone sows, they're going to reap it. And maybe not in this life, maybe in the life to come. But I know that God is sovereign. And with that, it should bring us great comfort to trust in his sovereignty. Number two from these stories if you're taking notes, write this down. God uses movements of life to allow uncontrollable circumstances to refine us. We have this illusion that we can control our circumstances. And the more wealth we have, the more we probably can. If we throw enough money at something, we can change our circumstances. Until I was sitting with a man who owned all of downtown Denver, and I was in a chair hooked up with an IV in me, getting the same treatment he was getting, because he said, I thought I could control my world and I realized that God was the only thing that could control everything because I sat down with my doctor a few months ago and he looked at me and he says, it's cancer. And he said, I couldn't throw enough money at it to save my own life. And he says, and I'm gonna die and I don't know what to do. See, God uses movements to allow uncontrollable circumstances in Joseph's life. God uses movements in Judah and Tamar's life. Now, here's, understand this. Pastor Sean's goal of this book of Genesis is for you to get an overview of it. We're going through three chapters, not so that we can skip over it, so that you have an understanding that God is sovereign and he's involved in every circumstance in our life. But it's your responsibility to submit to the authority of the Scripture. It's your responsibility to dig into the Scripture and to understand what the Scripture is saying. And to dig in and to, to see what God wants to tell you and how he wants to change you through his word. There's movements in our life that change us forever and they can happen in an instant. It can be a knock at the door and the policeman there and saying, I'm sorry, but your husband or your wife is dead or your son or your daughter has died. There's movements in our life that, that, that we 
that, that radically change us. I don't love you anymore. Words like that. I want a divorce. I hate you. It's cancer. There was nothing we could do. Words that, that, that forever alter us to look and to ask, where are you, God? I'll tell you where God is. He's faithful despite our circumstances. And our circumstances don't dictate the outcomes of God. Understand this. God's working and weaving his plan of salvation in our lives and in the lives of others. And we won't fully understand it until eternity has come. And we're enjoying eternity forever with God. But even then, we can trust him. Number three is this, God is faithful even when we are not or all hope seems lost. So in Judah's life, you see that Judah was being unfaithful to God by sleeping with a prostitute and getting her pregnant and then the hypocrisy of all of that story. God was faithful to Judah by giving him a son that became the great, 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 great grandfather of Christ. And God was faithful to Joseph as he's sitting in prison, thinking, how much worse can it get, God? Here I am. Did you forget me? When all hope seems lost, and maybe he was there and he wanted to give up hope, but he was faithfully serving, saying, God, even if this is the end of my life and I'm just supposed to be in charge of this prison, I'm going to do it to your glory. See, this is a tale of two brothers. And I think there's some things for us to see today. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And in the case in Chronicles, it was, there was foolishness that was done. Did you know that the eyes of the Lord are looking to show himself strong on someone's behalf? I like what it says in the King James. That if you submit yourselves to the gospel, if you submit yourselves to the authority of scripture, if you submit yourselves to God and say, God, I know I'm not much. I know that I'm, I have sin, but I need you today. And you do this every day that God is looking for you and he wants to use you and he wants to show himself mighty on your behalf. The Bible says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Judah might have thought, I got away with it. Dad doesn't know about Joseph. He slept with a prostitute. I got away with it. Nobody knows. God knows, God sees, God's sovereign, so much so that God worked out his plan in the midst of this. See, God is faithful, number three, when we are not and all hope seems lost. 
Here's the crux of these three stories. Here's the crux of, of this message. Our circumstances do not dictate our obedience to God. Our character does. Let me say that again. Our circumstances do not dictate our obedience to God. Our character does. Here's Judah who has everything going for him and he lives a godless life by going and engaging with who he thinks is a prostitute. And here's Joseph who has everything, every right to curse God and die being faithful. Our circumstances do not dictate our obedience to God. Our character does. Fill in the blank. Our our circumstances do not dictate our attitude towards God. Our circumstances do not dictate our focus towards God. Our circumstances don't dictate our work ethic to God. Our character does. And God's more concerned about our character than he is about the peripheral stuff that we care about. Or what sometimes I call our first world problems. Man, my cell phone broke. I'm without it for three days. And I cannot handle this. I'm disconnected from my lifeline. I need it. I have to, I had to mail it in. I mailed in my phone and I didn't have it for three days. What am I going to do? It's a first world problem. God's more interested in our character than he is our circumstances sometimes. And that is frustrating. Because God wants to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes he's allowed circumstances that are not very pleasant to do that. Let me, let me say the last little part. God always sees us and is in us as Christians. The character is defined as this. Who we truly are when no one is looking. The problem is God always sees us and is in us as Christians. My greatest enemy in this world is not the devil, although he is a strong enemy and adversary, and he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. My greatest enemy is not the world, although the world sure likes it when Christians fall, and they sure broadcast it all over. No, my greatest enemy is me. It's what I look in the mirror in every morning. That's my greatest enemy. When I look at the life of Judah, and I look at the life of Joseph, Judah had every reason to live for God, and he didn't. But God was still faithful. Joseph had every reason to walk away from God, and Joseph didn't. He remained faithful. And so don't tell me that Joseph could have played the victim as a slave, and he didn't. Don't tell me that Judah because his wife died or the circumstances in his life could have played the victim and guess what he did? I 
know, the issue is, is that we look and we realize that God has to develop character in us. Do you have Romans 8.29? Bring that up. It says this in Romans 8.29. At some point, there it is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I mean, it's, some of you guys are blown away by that or freaked out by that or whatever. Please don't. To be conformed in the image of his son. Underline that. That's the main point. Most people get tied up in foreknowledge and predestination and they, they miss the, the, the main crux of that verse. That God cho- chose us, adopted us as children, saved us to conform us into the image of his son. That's the part you need to underline. Every circumstance in your life as a Christian is to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The cancer in your life, the fact that you can get pregnant or not get pregnant, the fact that you're having marital issues, the fact that whether it's sin or whether it's good or whether it's bad, everything is to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're truly a Christian... It's God taking this clay and he's forming it into the pattern and the shape of Christ. That's what he was doing in Joseph's life to prepare him to get the children of Israel to eventually move into this country. Egypt. It was to conform his children. And it's true for us today that God uses it to conform us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ will develop our character regardless if we're interested in it or not. Philippians 1.6 is true. He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That your entire being, your entire personhood belongs to the Lord. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, bodily rose from the dead. And if you're a Christian here, you've believed, repented, believed, and received Christ into your life. And if you've done this, then he's going to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's going to be painful. And it's going to be difficult. And God wants us to remain faithful regardless. All our circumstances will eventually reveal our true character, whether they're godly or ungodly. If somebody sitting next to you is not wearing green, pinch them now. If they're wearing orange, please don't. It just means they're Protestant and they're protesting St. Patty's Day. That is a tradition in Ireland, just to let you know. So make sure they're wearing green or orange. St. Patrick had every reason to hate the Irish. St. Patrick, today's St. Patrick's Day in case anybody didn't know. So have some corned beef and ash. Use a little Irish spring deodorant soap. Eat a bowl of Lucky Charms. I said, sorry, that's like, I just totally stereotyped. If you're Irish, you probably hate me right now. <laughs> so sorry. That was like every stereotype of Ireland. 
Oh, it's my island. All right, sorry. Um, the um, St. Patrick had every reason to hate the Irish people. As a young boy, he was uh, taken by pirates from England, his homeland, and taken over to Ireland and sold into slavery. While he was over there, he was abused, to say the least. You can read about his life. He um, subsequently escaped and went back to England. While he was in England, he found Christ. Christ saved him, changed him, conformed him to the image of his son, and to the point where Patrick decided, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And God said, go back to Ireland and preach the gospel. Accept that, God. Uh, Patrick went back to Ireland and preached the gospel. And Christianity spread like wildfire because here's this former slave who could have been enslaved again because he was a runaway slave. They didn't look too kindly on runaway slaves, but he was there proclaiming the gospel and they left him alone and he proclaimed the gospel to everyone in Ireland. Not that all of Ireland is saved, but many people came to Christ as a result of his obedience to God. Despite his circumstances, Patrick was obedient to God, revealing his true character. There's a lot of you today that probably have some pretty rough circumstances, and I'm here to tell you that those circumstances are not wasted because God is training you up to do something for him if you will be obedient to him. So that he can use you to reach people that I cannot, that Pastor Sean cannot, that other people cannot. If you would submit yourself to the authority of Christ and allow him to develop your character. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Lord, there's people here that maybe don't know you as Lord and Savior. You died on the cross for them. And you rose again from the grave and, and they need to receive you by faith. And I pray, Lord God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and they would be saved. I pray that they would go to the prayer chapel afterwards, Lord God, and they would talk, walk in there and they would say, I don't know what, I don't know what it is to be saved, but I need, I need to be saved. But Lord, there's also a lot of Christians here that are looking more on their circumstances and they're following after their circumstances and their, their circumstances are allowing them to commit sin and their circumstances are allowing them to be inactive for you, Lord God. When you have forgiven them, you have made them their, your, their, your son, your daughter. And God, you redeemed them. And you're asking for obedience now, Lord God, and they're being like Jonah and they're running the opposite way. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bring them back. That you would bring them back, whether by a, a whale 
whether by this message, whether by something else, they're running as far away from you as possible because of some, something, some circumstance in their life and they're claiming victimness. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would just call them, you would bring them back to you. I pray, God, now in the name of Jesus, you would do that. And you would show them once again the joy of the Lord. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for who you are and for what you've done. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.